0: Hey, everybody. This is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. All right. What a show we have in line for you today. We've got Maraz Rahman from a company called Neighborly. He's their VP of growth and business development. Neighborly is taking an entirely different approach when it comes to working with DIY landlords on how they find and screen tenants. Now, a lot of people get into like, you know, well, you just do eviction check and background check and all that stuff. But here's kind of the twist. First off, Neighborly is free. They only make their money on providing leads to insurance companies. And they've built some smart technology that enables them to be a better provider of information whether or not a tenant is likely to be a good tenant or not so good a tenant. So we're going to jump right into this one. Kick back, relax. Enjoy the show. Hey, Morales, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Nice to be here. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time joining me here. I'm really excited about this because the more I dig into your company and what you guys are doing, I keep finding like there's there's just more. It's a little bit beyond, like I was just saying, like there's there's more under the hood than the website is sharing here. I don't want to tease too long. Why don't you go ahead, introduce who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. My name's Raz.
1: I work here at Neighborly leading our growth and our business development initiatives. And to give you a quick overview on Neighborly, Neighborly is a new type of credit bureau and insurance company that's powered by our AI. And our mission is to make credit reporting and scoring more accurate and
0: fair, specifically for the residential renting industry. Okay. So first things first, I did not plan this at all, but I mean, you just opened up this can of worms. Yeah. You don't even start with describing the product as like a product for property owners and property managers. You start with a credit, you said credit reporting bureau is what you said?
1: Yeah, like we're trying to be, we're building a new credit bureau and it starts with, I think what it comes down to is is kind of what happened with our founder. Our founder, Dylan, had a unit that he decided to rent out. He rented out to someone who seemed perfect. They came in, they were wearing kind of new nurses' scrubs at a decent credit score and all that, and he put them in the unit. Within a few months, he found out she wasn't a nurse and she didn't actually work at the hospital down the street, but she was a professional tenant. And six months later, $25,000 out of his pocket, he decided to sell his place and never rent again. And from there, kind of the next few months, being a builder... He's like, there needs to be a better solution. So he started building kind of a deeper algorithm to help identify who the right tenant might be for a given unit. And that's really the core product of Neighborly is a Neighborly report. And it uses three sets of data. The first is a set of data on the unit itself. Where is it? What is it like? What type of person would be a good fit? A set of data on the tenant, and then a set of data on the market. Mm. Right? As opposed to just using a credit score where in one place, a credit score of 650 might be enough. In another place, maybe you want a better credit score. You want more things to validate whether or not that's a
0: good renter all right we're gonna i'm gonna try and dig into this more and more Yeah. <laughs> it's so much. I mean, so, I mean, because back in the day, I mean, you know, this is always the biggest hurdle for a lot of landlords, other than, you know, collecting the security deposit and giving it back to the tenant. Screening the tenant is such a big headache. And it, it's, it's scary, especially if you're a newer landlord. You're like, I, I don't know. What if they, what, you know, what if a minor conviction comes up? Do I let them in? They had one collections. Should I, should I waiver on that? Like, are they really good tenant? But, but you guys, You know, you're working more on, you know, also helping tenants build their credit with with their rental history, and so being able to see that and get a a better picture of, okay, yeah, they had this thing over here, but that doesn't reflect how good of a tenant they are. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. The key thing with Neighborly is we're pulling in all these factors and we're distilling it down into a score out of a hundred. So for a landlord who might be a first time landlord, might be a little intimidated, it all comes together in a single score out of a hundred that's color coded. And it shows exactly how you might want to feel about it. But then it breaks down all the other pieces of information. So we'll have the credit score there and let you know whether that's good or bad and why that might be good or bad. We'll Mm. break down like a financial analysis that shows you the rent-to-income or the debt-to-income of this person and let you know what range that is in and if it's healthy. And then we'll also do verifications, right? So we'll verify that based on the documents they submitted, that the employment that they stated is actually something that they can prove and their identity is something that they can prove. And I think all of these factors will hopefully make a landlord feel more. Confident making that first decision because it's scary. Right? <laughs> if if it's, you're, it like, is. Yeah.
0: It is. I mean, we, we were we were interviewing some of our first tenants, and and I felt I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. It seems like a good young family. Like, all right, let's let's go for it. You know, they seem like real nice people. I ran ran the background check, and then a DUI came up, and I was like, oh, I mean, I don't know. Like, everyone makes mistakes, right? Yeah. And, you know, my gut said, look, hey, you you said you wanted clean records, stick to what you said you wanted. And I'm glad I did, because I ended up bumping into... You know, the the girlfriend a few months later and, oh, goodness, things went downhill. And I was like, well, man, that would have been that I avoided a little bit of a potential nightmare, you know. So, okay, let's let's walk through. So let's talk a little pragmatically. How does it work? How does a landlord use Neighborly? Yeah. So Neighborly for a
1: landlord is super easy. It's, It's totally free You go on. You make an account. And then you can email out an application to any potential tenant, right? So type in their email address, press send, and then that lives in a dashboard where you can see kind of whether that tenant has opened that application, whether they started filling it out. And when they're done filling it out, it kind of comes to our team here who analyzes it, generates a neighborly report and then returns that to you. So you can just click on your dashboard and open that neighborhood report. Take a look at it, probably compare a couple of tenants. And then if you like one, approve that tenant and send them a message saying, hey, I think you're a great tenant for me. Why don't we get start on the leasing right there?
0: Is there a cost to the tenant? No, there isn't. Cost to the landlord. Yeah. And there's no cost to the tenant. Yeah. And then it does
1: all the background checks. Yes, it does all the background checks. And we used to charge. So we used to charge 30 bucks a screening a year and a half ago. But I think our our thought process was we're growing, but... This is something that ideally every landlord could use. And if we could find an alternative revenue stream, we can make this totally free. There's no need like fighting for dollars here and there. Mm-hmm. So we went to totally free. And, and what we did is we launched some insurance products, right? So we're selling renter's insurance to that tenant afterwards, right? It's a super good spot. They finally found their unit. They've been approved and they're ready to go. You know what? You might want some renter's insurance, right? So we've got people at the right time where we can try to sell some other products that really makes up for the cost of running this credit screen.
0: Got it. So you guys and then- have some, do you have like preferred partners on that or just a handful of partners and then you you turn them over to the tenants? Or how does that process work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've got a handful of partners. It depends on the actual applicant. So it can either go to a specific partner or we can give them some options.
0: Is that a, a, enough revenue to remain sustainable like that, or will you have to at some point introduce some more enterprise level product?
1: Good question. So kind of we went to that route of like trying to understand whether we want an enterprise product or something like that. And I think the reality is that the risks for an independent landlord are much greater than the risk for like an enterprise landlord. You got 200, 300, 500 or 10,000 units. Your risk is super diversified, but if I'm a landlord with one or two units, my risk is massive.
0: Mm. So
1: insurance products for those landlords are much more make much more sense, right? At that point, so to getting the the renters insurance is one, but the, also the next product we've been looking at is a rental guarantee. So for a landlord, if they've been approved and they see a great neighborly score, we should be able to give them confidence that that person can be in that unit. And what we can do is give them a, a kind of a risk premium to pay for a rent guarantee insurance. Type product that guarantees kind of that they'll get paid even if the tenant misses a payment or something like that.
0: Oh, so you're insuring, you insure the tenant. So the landlord says, Hey, they said this tenant's great. If the tenant doesn't pay, who, who pays the landlord then the insurance company? So, yeah. So right now that's neighborly. Neighborly is that insurance company that
1: pays it. Okay. Rent- <laughs> And then we'll work with the tenant to figure out how to get that money back. That
0: is incredible. You've got to have some smart technology then that's figuring something out of how to figure out like who's a reliable tenant or maybe who's not. Can you talk to me about that? Because I know that you guys have like some databases and I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say AI, maybe you have some, I don't know. I don't, I'm not yeah, sure if absolutely. I saw that, but fill me in on some of the tech that's behind this service. Cause obviously it's not clearly just a, it's not just an application someone built out and then you have an underwriter who's looking at it, checking the box and saying, let's go for it.
1: Definitely. And I think like the reason this works as a whole is that there are very few people in real estate who are aggregating large amounts of data, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't like publicly available information on everything, so when we started, it did start with big publicly available databases on eviction and income and uh, rent rates and things like that. But as we started screening more and more people, we ended up with the most up-to-date database right? and the most amount of information. So what that lets us do is, is kind of do some look-alike modeling and say, who does this person look the most like? Was that person a good tenancy or not? And then we can look at it that way, which lets us make a much more informed decision on each tenant than we would if we just had that one tenant's application in front of us. How many tenants have you guys helped screen? So we're currently screening for over 600,000 units, and we're screening between five and 10,000 tenants a month, right? So it's quite a few tenants overall.
0: Wow. Okay. And then those are obviously, like, some of those landlords have more than one property, so it's not all individual landlords.
1: Yeah, so so it's 600,000 units, like some of the entrepreneurs yeah. will have 10 or five, but the majority of them are really in the one to five range.
0: Yeah, that's insane. That's a lot of people. And that's not all US, but you guys also have Canada too, right?
1: Yeah, so we started in Canada, but we've really been growing in the States over the last little while. And it's it's a pretty decent split between the two.
0: Well, why not just grow it out in Canada versus, you know, go through the States?
1: To be honest, the Canadian real estate market is pretty small. <laughs> it's It's less than a tenth the size of the American market. And I think it works great. But in the grand scheme of things, when we're actually a a Y Combinator company, we have investors out of San Francisco Bay Area, that means we're mm-hmm. going to need to support the U.S. if we want to grow.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of figured it was like, well, the size of opportunity in the U.S. versus Canada it is pretty clear, but I just didn't know maybe there was another another reason or a why. but I mean, it seems to make sense. And obviously the trends right now are pointing to, you know, people are buying a little bit later in life, yep. but they want the lifestyle of ha- having a home, so renting single family homes is is on the up. It's on the up and we haven't recovered on inventory. So it puts, puts you guys in a good position. Do you do you foresee the trend, though, of people really wanting the single-family homes? Or do you think that we'll finally start seeing multifamily inventory catching up to satisfy the, the renter you know, who's looking for homes?
1: Yeah, I think it's a funny time in the market where almost everything points to people renting for longer and renting more often. So it's going to be really hard for supply to catch up. And I think you're seeing it in a lot of cities where rent is just getting out of control. <laughs> It's getting super expensive, and I don't know the solution to that, but yeah. it's definitely we're heading towards a world where renting is going to continue to happen and continue to happen more often, so we need solutions in that space as much as we need solutions in buying.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, even though I'm very comfortable and happy that there's going to be a lot of people renting for longer periods of time. I intend on owning much more real estate as I go through life, so... Obviously that means I got a reliable source of customers but you're, you're right I, you know anything that we can do that makes the housing more affordable I think is right and this is one of the things why you know one of the things I really like about what you guys are doing is the credit reporting yeah. you know it's really frustrating me I think this just came up on another recording we did yesterday and it was frustrating me that the biggest bill that people have isn't often counted towards their credit. Why is that though is can you sh- shed some light as to why isn't that just easily reported? to credit reporting bureaus or, you know, the, what are the companies, Experian and TransUnion? Why isn't that reported so easily?
1: Yeah, I think the the real reason is just that the rental market is so distributed, right? There's a bunch of small players, like a ton of people still have independent landlords, right? If Equifax right. or TransUnion wanted to go out and call every independent landlord and start collecting their receipts for the, the rent payments, it would be a nightmare, right? Mm. They have no way to access these people. And if you look at the actual makeup of rental units that are available, more than 50% of them are independent landlords. And I think more than 50% of them are actually like landlords who own less than 10 units, right? So in a world where that's the case, it's really hard for them. It's not like your light belt where one light company covers higher yep. geography, right? So it yep. makes it really hard for them to just get the data Versus if we're able to screen a lot of people in a lot of places and attract a lot of independent landlords, we have access to those people much more easily than an Equifax or a TransUnion or
0: an Experience. So do you see yourself as that like central hub then for connecting those 50% of landlords out there to help them improve their value prop to all future tenants of rent with me and I'll report your payments to credit? Yeah, that could
1: definitely be part of it. I think, to be honest, we see those as a part of the rental infrastructure more than anything else, right? There is no one who's innovated on the credit reporting side. The FICO score is built in the 80s, and it's still what we use today, and mm-hmm. it's not the best indicator for a rental outcome. And my favorite stat that supports that is that 65% of people who are millennials have a subprime credit score, so sub 650, but only 4% of those people will ever get evicted from a home, right? So it's not super correlated. There's there's a mismatch there. And I think... There are other factors that need to be reported. We've got to try some different things in terms of evaluating what the perfect tenant is, and that's what we want to make.
0: Is there? I would be so interested to see, like, you know, if you put the credit scores on a horizontal line, like, yep. how, what percent are likely to be evicted? Is it a bell curve? Is it, you know, really sharp at the bottom and then a long tail as it as the credit score increases? That's a
1: great question for a data scientist.
0: Not- <laughs> Yeah, pass that one one along, because I think that'd be kind of fun to know, like, you know, what percent of certain people with different credit scores, because the assumption, like you said, like, the assumption is high credit score, you know, won't won't take you through an eviction process, but, I mean, if credit isn't tied to your rental history. That's not necessarily like you say, it's, it's not a direct connection there. So yeah. I'm, I am curious. though. so, you know, throughout the US, I mean, you know, real estate's still very much a very local business. And yeah. so you have hot pockets, you've got areas that aren't as hot or cooling. Are there any one markets or a few markets that you guys are pursuing after or are you just open game, you know, coast to coast in the US?
1: So, like, the product is available close to the U.S., anyone can jump on it. For us specifically, we're just trying to have our growth be closer to home to start. So we're really focused. We have a San Francisco office on the California market, and then we have a Toronto office, so in the Northeastern United States. And those are the, our two focus areas for the short term. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because... Like you said, there's a bunch of small people. It's very local. And the best way that we found to grow is to put feet on the ground, eat members, get involved in associations and talk to people. And that's not super skill immediately across the country.
0: Yeah, that'd be a little bit tough. You'd have to get in like the Oscar Mayer vehicle and just start driving.
1: <laughs> We've definitely talked about getting a big VW van, drive across the States and just stop it in every association but i think that might be a little bit
0: later yeah well if you decide to do that i'm your guy because i love road tripping (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about your growth so i mean there's no shortage of products in this space right now and it it, it really honestly feels like and i think for me because i'm I'm a little bit more hyper aware of it, but I'm seeing a new stop getting launched every week. You know, there's plays on rent to own, there's plays on buying notes and contracts and all different things. And you're vying for the attention against all these other companies that are out there saying this is the right way to do real estate, you know, whatever that is. What's been a key driver to the growth? Because you guys in a very short amount of time have been able to get your product actually used by, you know, hundreds of thousands, which is impressive. Yeah, I think
1: the biggest... Thing that we've seen we actually went through like a data exercise to understand this and our biggest growth driver is actually referral so people have okay. a great experience literally they immediately talk to their friend who happens to own some units too and is looking for a new tenant and that person his neighborly, right? So over 30% of our new users actually come in through a referral channel, which is a pretty insane number. And we don't have a formal referral program. These are people just talking to each other.
0: There's no incentive program. There's no incentive program. This is and these program. are tenants referring other tenants in? So you're like They're pulling
1: landlords. through that way? Or They're landlords? Railroads. Yeah, landlords referring other landlords. And I think it's just, if you're used to, like you said, having the tough experience of figuring out what do I want to measure, what don't I, and then you do a couple of clicks, you sign an application, you get this pretty report that's easy to read, it kind of opens your eyes. And the next time one of your friends who has a unit says, hey, you know what, I'm looking for a tenant, you're like, you should try Neighborly. And that, that's been our biggest source of growth. And that's why we still want to put our feet on the ground in certain places. We you know, if we can convert a first group of users in any given city, it starts to grow on its own pretty quickly.
0: Wow. 30%. That's, uh, even if, I, if you were, running, you were, like, intentionally running a program, that would be really, that would be really. That's soft. Soft.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the next step for our growth, too, is, like, cool, we're getting this organically. Is there any way we can accelerate this?
0: There's sure. some stickiness there. So what do you put underneath that? I mean, start time yeah. to start, throw some coal in the fire. Yeah. I think part of it is like, there, there's definitely
1: a community around being a landlord and kind of going down this path of building wealth and yeah. property. People want to talk to each other. People look to each other for information. And it's really nice to have that inbuilt community in any market you're working in because you can grow if you gain the trust of a few people.
0: Yeah. You know, that's totally true. We've got a local meetup here in, in town And it's once a month, everyone gets together kind of open format and there's flippers, there's wholesalers, there's buying holds, there's notes, people, but that community, you're right, because outside of that little niche, the general consensus of landlords is not always that positive yeah there's a little bit of a, a negative sentiment there and so um, i think you're right you know landlord's finding that community is is uh, pretty powerful so if you have something sticky that really you know resonates within that community so one thing i like to ask you know different guests on the that come on the, on the show is you know tell me about an experiment or something you tried that that maybe didn't work cuz i think this really sheds light on the spirit behind the company and really what you guys are doing so Maybe you can share a story of something you guys tried that, you know, didn't go where you wanted it to and you had to pivot away from it.
1: Yeah, good good question. I think one of the spots where we kind of invested a lot of money was actually in advertising. Things were going good. Our growth curve was looking great and everything was going and we're like, let's throw some gas on that fire. Let's put a bunch of money into advertising. And we did it, but we didn't really make a smart decision, right? We didn't look closely at our funnel. We didn't try to understand what type of users are we driving in. And what ended up happening is we drove in a bunch of traffic to the site. Traffic spiked. but right. As we went deeper and deeper into the funnel, we saw that fewer and fewer of these people converted, fewer of them became long-term users. And we were spending money on getting the wrong people into our funnel, as opposed to being really targeted about the right people who are going to become our evangelists and grow our business. And that really mm-hmm. cost us, to be honest, quite a bit of money. But I think it was a good experiment because right now our marketing and growth team kind of works like a guerrilla team. We spend next to nothing. And it's all about what's the most efficient way to make the biggest impact on our bottom.
0: Yeah. And those people that you were you were driving all those leads in were, were they also landlords or just people kind of casually looking at things? Yeah, I think
1: we ended up driving a lot of both landlords and tenants. And tenants are obviously not a great fit for what we're doing. And I think that's what happens when you go to common real estate places and marketplaces yeah. like that. You're gonna end up with both. And yep. we didn't put a clear way of like dividing that funnel right away. And maybe we, we put tenants somewhere where they could reach out to their landlord, but we didn't do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you have both that are searching like how to pay rent online. Exactly. And that's not a clear indicator of who you are and why you're looking for how to pay rent online. And so, you know, having to figure it out. I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, tenants ought to be more aware of this. I always think through, like, are you familiar with the, the receipt, the case of why the receipt took off? No. So so the story i miss is like American cash register. Yep. They wanted to sell more American cash registers. The American cash register company wanted to sell these cash registers. Yep. They ran a marketing campaign aimed at consumers to ask for receipts. So every cashier had to be handwriting, not only counting the money, but they had to handwrite all the receipts. Wow. And so it actually became a, a problem, you know, so it's like one of those pull through marketing strategies awesome. that, you know, you wish you can nail Intel is probably the most famous for really pulling, you know, doing great pull through marketing. But uh, yeah, I, I got my landlord to switch onto an automated platform for payment because I was like, please don't make me write a check. <laughs> yeah, Makes sense. I don't want to write a check, you know, so I got my landlord to switch. So, but I mean, it, it, it's not easy for tenants to to pull a landlord through on that because they're like, look, I got my system. I do my thing, my thing, you know, but if the, another landlord pulls them through and says, Hey, you ought to check this out. This was like really easy for me last time. It makes, makes a ton of sense. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about the, the space and industry a little bit. So I know you guys did a round of funding back in 2016, right? Yep. Okay, so you guys raised some money back then, and I don't know if you guys have plans on raising more. But the the trend continues to look like we're going to keep seeing a lot more money coming from tech pouring into real estate tech. As like you know, it seems, and it's not just U.S. based; it's also foreign countries pouring into U.S. based real estate tech companies. Why do you think that that's the way things are happening? And now, like. I mean, 2019, we're not new to CRMs and websites and smart data and even machine learning. So why now are we getting so much money poured into this industry?
1: Yeah, I think it really comes down to what you mentioned a second ago, where you talked about how there's old school landlords who have their old school processes, right? Mm -hmm. It's why real estate's been so hard for tech to break into, but I think we're getting to the point where there's no more resisting (laughs) it's everywhere and everyone's asking for it. You've got a big group of kind of digital natives or people who grew up with the internet, buying houses and renting and stuff like that. And they're comparing your experience to the experience they get at Uber or the experience they get on Google or the experience they get with Amazon. They're not comparing you to a landlord they had 20 years ago who gave them like who had them write checks Right? So I think it's just you've got a big wave of customers who aren't just willing to accept that that's the way things are done, mm. it's forcing the hand of people that just have to change, right, if they want to stay relevant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even as you know, if markets do tend to cool a little bit, yeah. that's where. If you have that edge of well, rent with me, I'll report it for credit reporting, rent with me, no checks. You know, I'm I'm really excited for some of the companies that are finding ways to mitigate the security deposit on the front end. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys are a direct line of access to renters insurance, which, you know, I mean, I don't know how many years I've been renting. Yeah. But none of my landlords, not one, all the way along the way, directly had a good resource for renter's insurance.
1: Yeah.
0: They're like, yeah, it's on your own You, know, if you want to go get it. And I'm like, well, I don't know who to call for that. And I'm sure it's heck not going to go out and shop for insurance. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think you've, you've actually seen a lot of technology in
1: like driving more people to get insurance. Renters insurance is one of those things that it's so cheap and it covers so many things that I don't understand why people don't immediately get it.
0: But, I mean, there's just yeah. You're right. I mean, like you look at the cost; and it's somewhere between like ten and twenty bucks usually a month. Yeah. And you say like, especially if you have roommates, hundred oh, percent, stuff is covered in case of a fire. I'm like, what is ten dollars a month? Exactly. It's going to cover all my stuff, you know. So yeah, you're right. It just makes total sense. And if it's required by the landlord, then it's it's done deal. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And I think that that's for us like a really important point is if we know it's required by the landlord, we can just tell these guys and we get rid of the whole hurdle of trying to find it yourself. are like, Hey, you know what? Your landlord requires renter's insurance. You have to quote if you're interested, right? Yep. And we can move really quickly. And that's again, how we can do everything that we do do for free.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very awesome. Now, before we move on, cause uh, you know, we were talking about funding there a little bit. Are you guys planning on raising any more money or are you guys set with money?
1: Yeah, it's definitely in the plans. So, we raised a bit more money than is publicly available, and we're looking at raising another round later this year. Real estate's expensive to break into. So we'll probably be looking for something to kind of drive that next round of
0: growth for us. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's not a it's not a cheap industry to break into, but there's lots of opportunity. Absolutely. Well, let's move on. We're going to move on to, we're at the bottom of the show here and we get to play a game called For the Future. Cool. So For the Future is a segment where I get to ask each guest on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Mirazi, you ready to play? I'm ready to go. All right, let's do this. Question number one. What does Neighborly look like one year from now?
1: So a year from now, I think Neighborly... You'll see the first launch of a lot of our API partnerships. So maybe it won't look that different to an end consumer, but I think people in like the rent tech world will definitely have heard of Neighborly and you'll see us appearing on a lot of rental places and property management softwares. Good stuff. Question number two, what will the housing market look like one year from now? You're digging deep. Uh, The housing market, it's funny. It's always been cyclical and you know there's going to be booms and busts. But this is a weird moment. I'm not 100% sure. I'm always optimistic and that's why I work in real estate. Yeah. But the one thing I will say is like, I almost feel like we need to stop asking blanket questions on like, the real estate market. There are huge changes. Like The real estate market is not a homogenous blob. You could be in one city where it's super hot, another city where it's super cold. And I think that's why it's hard for like the Fed to set policies. They're trying to do it for everyone at once.
0: Yeah, I think that you're right. There's going to be some areas that are super hot, super cold, and and we're going to see some cooling faster than other places. Some places are going to just keep on keeping on, you know, totally depends. I mean, that's that's one of the beauties of real estate. It's such a local game, you know, there's big trends across the board, but then you got to pay attention to the local absolutely all right question number three you kind of touched on this when will the next big boom or bust happen in real estate yeah yes like i I have
1: i'm in toronto and toronto's been very hot for a long time i think my parents house has tripled in value in the last 15 years yeah so it's been it's been a crazy hot market in toronto and if you ask anyone around here they'll say the next is the bust and it's coming but i think as a whole like been for three years. <laughs> exactly. people have been saying that for a long time. Exactly. So I'm still optimistic that we're still going to be on the up and up in the short term.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Question number four, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? I think bad real estate agents will disappear. Oh.
1: And and the reason I say that is in the past, like a real estate agent was a gatekeeper for information that you just couldn't get. But now you can get that. And you can do a lot of that stuff yourself. So if you're a bad real estate agent who just, really didn't do much for their customer, didn't really give them a lot of information and help them make their decisions, you're not going to exist because they're going to be able to do that themselves. Yesterday, I saw something about companies that'll just buy your house up with a couple of pictures online, right? And, and if that's the world, the bad real- bad yeah, eye buyers, iBuyers. Yeah, eye buyers, exactly. So if that's the world, bad real estate agents disappear, and the ones who survive are the ones who deliver like real value to the customers, really know their market and give you information that you just can't find online.
0: Yeah, you know, I tend to, I align with the idea that realtors will be around for a long time, even post when iBuyers, I think, take a, a good chunk of market. But uh, you can't deny things. Open door owns 20% of the market in Phoenix. Yeah. And a very short amount of time. And they're not strapped for cash to keep doing so. Yeah. so. <laughs>
1: I think that's why I say bad real estate agents. Because I really like my real estate agent. I bought my yeah. house. He provided me with this really detailed report that said, "Hey, whereas if you want to live in this home, here's what everything will look like. If you were going to rent it, here's what the market looks like. If things, oh are, wow, here's what your financial situation could look like. You got yourself a good realtor. Yeah, I've got a great one, right? But that's <laughs> what I mean. It's like those are the guys who are going to survive because they're providing
0: tons of real value, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a differentiator." That's good stuff. All right, we're going to move on to the last three. Maraz, are more about you. So our listeners get to learn a little bit about you. Question number one, what are you reading? So I'm reading one thing and I'm listening to something else.
1: So I'll take a okay. I'm reading 11 rings. So I'm a big. 11 rings? Yeah, I'm a big basketball fan. So if you know Phil Jackson.
0: He's yeah, like, he's like the winningest coach in, in history, ain't or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 11. So that's yeah. the
1: book. It's about his, the 11 championship rings. He got. got six with the Bulls and five with the Lakers. Exactly. Yep. So the book's about him and his strategy for like, and philosophy for winning and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool book. I'm a huge basketball fan. So it's, it's really nice to get stories about my favorite players and things like that. And then the other book, the book I'm listening to is called The Obstacle is the Way. Ryan Holiday. Exactly. So great book, great book about like not looking at bumps in the road or issues as, as things that get into the way, but are just part of the way. And if you don't look at them as, as obstacles, they aren't obstacles, right? So yeah. two really good books. And I've read The Obstacle was the way before. And it's just, I just like listening to that sometimes because it, it powers me up. Have you also worked through Ego is the Enemy? Yes, I have. I just finished that recently. That's a great one as well. I
0: feel like everyone in real estate should, like specifically in real estate, that should yeah. be required. Hard reading because there's a lot of things in the real estate industry that that feed ego rather than results.
1: Yeah, and I would say the same thing in startups, right? And tech. Yeah. So it's like a lot of these industries were converging. So that means prop tech guys should definitely, definitely read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, question number two: Who are you learning from? Good question. So I think the people I'm learning the most from right there are actually my peers. So I'm a millennial. I just bought my first home recently. Oh. A lot of my friends are kind of entering that same world. So I'm learning a lot from them because like if you ask the guy who owns 10 houses what he wants, it's just like the Henry Ford thing, right? You ask a, If you ask the customer what they want, they would have said a faster horse. They wouldn't have said a Model T, right? So it's the same kind of thing here where I like talking to people who are just entering the market, expectation versus reality, what that's been like. And I learned a lot about like, what's the ideal interaction in real estate based on people who've never had one? Like what's their thought process on that? And I think that's been super helpful for me in understanding like, what's the thing we want to build towards?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just want, I think a lot of people want to understand the process more than anything. Oh, 100%. It's a black box for a lot of people, and they have no (laughs) idea. It was a
1: black box for me. If I didn't have that realtor who was such a great guy,
0: because they just handed a stack of papers and and you're told here, sign here, here, and here. You can read it if you want, but there's 400 pages there, so just just go ahead and sign it, hand over several hundred thousand dollars committing to the next 30 years. No big deal, you got it
1: exactly. It's crazy, and it's funny (laughs) because I was talking to. My mortgage broker and I was like, she's like, so are you comfortable? And I was like, I'm scared. She's like, why are you scared? I'm like, I'm literally signing a piece of paper that says I owe you half a million dollars. <laughs> like, why wouldn't that scare me? And she's like, is that she went on her whole thing about why it shouldn't scare me. But, yeah, yeah. Like, this is a crazy big decision for a lot of people, and I think sometimes yeah. in our, our hunt to simplify it, we might go too far as well.
0: Yeah, right? I agree. I do agree. Yep. All right, final one here. What inspires you or helps keep you inspired? I think what inspires me the most is just seeing a
1: customer, like, reach an aha moment, right? So Mm. when a customer gets, like, their first neighborly report and they're super impressed or when someone writes a review saying, hey, like, I've tried finding tenants before and it was awful, but this has changed everything, that's the best. Like, I need the little wins, right? I'm like a dopamine addict, right? (laughs) I need to see those little wins every day to kind of get me going and that's that's what gets me going, right? If my team has a little win, if anyone has a win, I'm, I'm big on
0: momentum and wins all the time and that's what gets me going. Mm, that's awesome. Roz, this has, been, this has been great. I really appreciate your time sharing about Neighborly. I'm excited for you guys. I, I hope you guys continue seeing the success. Best of luck on the next round of fundraising. I'm sure that you guys will probably do pretty well because you're taking a very unique angle to the, the rental market. Truthfully, I haven't talked to anyone else who's taking the same type of angle that you guys are taking. So good on you guys really working a unique value prop. Before we head out, I want to give people an opportunity to connect with you and also learn about Neighborly. Now, uh, where do they go and how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to connect with Neighborly, jump on the website,
1: jump on chat. The team who does our support sits right next to me. If you want to reach out to me, it's uh, Ramen at Neighborly, always available. So, find us, find us on LinkedIn, wherever you want.
0: And the team's super friendly, super nice. So, anytime you want to chat, we're open. Very awesome hey man i really appreciate your time and uh hopefully i'll probably see you around at some point and sure and but uh keep me posted on what you guys are up to i'll look for the updates cheering for you guys until next time we'll catch you later sounds
1: good I appreciate the time as well thanks
0: well that's it for today thanks so much for listening to the technest podcast hey don't forget you can get on the email list you never miss an upcoming episode that's technest.io that's t-e-c-h-n-e-s-t dot i-o get on the email list uh, go to the app store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.